Mr. Chair, the room is ready. Thank you, Jeff Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, welcome everyone to the October 27, 2021 meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. Uh, before we launch in, I'll turn it over to Becky Pepper to lay the rules of uh, the Zoom call. Thank you. Good evening and welcome. My name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Kyle Kobe, who'll be facilitating the Zoom portion of the meeting. We will work alongside the chair who is on video remote to facilitate the meeting proceedings. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube channel and channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled and all chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. And when you're participating, please turn your video on. And if you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name each time you speak uh, for the benefit, your name and title each time you speak for the benefit of those participating remotely. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating in person should approach the podium following safety distancing and safety protocols. Individuals are required to wear a mask, but may remove their mask when making remarks at the podium. Please state your name before speaking and your comments will be limited to three minutes. Individuals providing comment via Zoom should use the raise your hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you're using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you're called on, please unmute your device, state your name before speaking, and again, comments will be limited to three minutes. For commissioners, all motions need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call each commissioner individually to provide their vote. Staff will then announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. I want to again remind everyone to please mute yourself when you're not speaking, and now I'll turn the meeting back over to the chair. Thank you, Becky. Luke Sinclair, chair. Um, we have no general business items tonight, so we'll move to section B of the agenda. <clears throat> um, and uh, does anybody on the commission have any changes they wish to make or amendments, I guess, to the uh, minutes from our last meeting? Or would anyone like to make a motion to um, approve those? Commissioner Carter. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner, I move to approve the minutes for September 22nd. Thank you, sir. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Motion to approve those minutes. Do we have a second? Commissioner Butler, um, seconded by a hand motion. Thank you. Jeff, can you read the roll? Certainly. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrev? Abstain due to absence. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Abstain because I was not here. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero with two abstentions. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. 
Um, do we have any uh, reports for any from the commissioners for, of any committees that met over the last month? Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. Yes, the ad hoc solar committee is meeting every Thursday now um, with county planning staff and are bringing in different <clears throat> individuals that represent different viewpoints about the entire project. Um, we most recently had people come in about grazing animals around the solar panels as a way to perform maintenance of the grasses underneath and also heard from a wildlife biologist about fencing and <clears throat> wildlife pathways. Uh, we had to postpone one with the fire chiefs. That was last Thursday because quite a few of us were out of town, but that's now been scheduled in an evening at out in Eudora's where I think most of us are going to be able to get to that. Um, Commissioner Willie and I attended a public meeting down in Southeast Douglas County where we <clears throat> talked about the process of where we were and the difference between the regulations that were forming and what would happen when a specific application for a special use permit under those application happens. Um, Tomorrow, I believe, is a meeting with people, engineers, and others from the solar industry that can answer some questions about what's involved in all that. Um, county staff is sending us articles about all kinds of things, including voltage leakage in the ground, what happens in hailstorms or you know other disasters, and we're just being inundated with information. And I'll just say, Mary Miller in is just doing an incredible job continuing to tweak the the proposed regulations until we're able to bring um, some back to you this the whole commission at our november meeting the monday meeting in november for additional public comment and comments from the rest of the commission and then we'll take it back and do some more tweaking before it comes back for a final review and vote on what recommendations we'll make to the county commission. So it's going along and it's been incredibly interesting. And as I said last month, the more we look at it, the more we see that we don't really understand, but we are really bringing in experts. And I have to uh, thank Commissioner Willie for finding people about how to discuss some of the items of agro solar is the term for it. So we're moving along and look forward to having a presentation next month where and get feedback from the rest of you. Excellent. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. It sounds like you guys have been and will be very busy. Um, are there other reports from committees? Commissioner Willie. Aaron Willie, Planning Commissioner. Uh, the LISA subcommittee, ad hoc committee, um, has met with staff in pairs because of scheduling conflicts just to go over um, some iterations of running the LISA tool, asking questions about the LISA tool. Then we have corresponded somewhat by email. Um, the, the latest development, though, is uh, in discussion with the, some of the county staff, we will probably put that uh, further discussion off a few months. 
uh, while we focus on solar, uh, we do have quite a bit of overlap between the solar ad hoc membership and the LISA ad hoc membership. And so um, as much time as solar has taken, we've decided to give that front seat and we will, we will continue and have something for you this winter. Excellent. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Looking forward to that. Um, any other commissioners that want to um, file a report, so to speak, about any committee meeting? Uh, Commissioner Carver, Carter. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner. As the uh, as a member of the MPO Policy Board, I was appointed to the um, Pedestrian Plan Steering Committee um, uh, over this fall, uh, working with very other various other community uh, representatives uh, to guide the. Uh, first steps of, of the um, upcoming pedestrian plan for Lawrence. And um, we met a couple of times. Um, I was absent the first meeting, but this past meeting, there was a uh, an interesting discussion of the scope of work. And in that, there was a discussion of the planning context. And uh, the, uh, the chair of that uh, committee, uh, Nick Kuzmiak, um, raised the question of planning implications of the, or excuse me, uh, planning commission implications of the pedestrian plan. And I think it was Jeff who called attention to the fact that this would be likely covered as part of the land use development plan. Um, I guess coincidentally, there was just an RFP that went out today to uh, for the consultant to help draft the um, land use development plan. So I just wanted to raise the issue that in drafting that, um, implications on pedestrian traffic is something we should um, be looking for. And that's it for me. Very good, thank you. Luke Sinclair Chair. Are there any others? Yes, Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Uh, building on what uh, Commissioner Carter just said, I would encourage everybody to go back and look at the city commission meeting from last week, where they discussed the variance that we came back to us twice um, in North Lawrence, and they were unable to reach a conclusion either. So they have deferred it until November 5th uh, for more information. So I, as we look at sidewalks and updating that in the land use plan, coming down, I think it would be helpful for everybody to see just where the city commission is also struggling with all the issues that we raised on that. It was an interesting discussion and they covered many topics just like we did. So it would be helpful for people to go back and review that. Luke Sinclair Chair, thanks for that, Commissioner Carpenter. I think that would be um, valuable for us. Um, if there are no other reports, We'll move to the next um, part of our agenda, the uh, Section D communications. Um, Jeff, do we have any written communications or written actions of waiver under one, two, or three in that section to receive? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Uh, all written communication, excuse me, all public comment was part of your packet this evening. We have no additional communication from other staff, planning commissioners, or the other commissioners, and also no written actions of waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer this evening. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, are there any commissioners that need to disclose ex parte communications? No, okay. Are there any declarations of abstention from specific agenda items tonight by any commissioners? 
Very good. Seeing none, um, now is the time then that we entertain general public comment for anybody that's um, in the chambers or on the Zoom call. Uh, now is the time uh, where you can offer comment on general items that are not up for um, consideration tonight on our agenda. Um, and if you're in the chambers, you can approach the podium and you'd have three minutes. If you're on the call, just you know, signify that you wanna talk and please state your name um, if, before you talk so we know um, who you are. Good evening, planning commissioners and the public in Douglas County. My name is Carrie Brandon, 450 East 2300 Road. Um, I have some visual aids here to share this evening. So I just hit screen share and so, oh, somebody's doing it for me. <laughs> okay, there we go. Thank you. So hopefully everyone can see this simple PowerPoint presentation. Um, I'll try and make this quick because uh, I have three minutes, but um, what I wanted to cover today was when we all found out about this, one of the first things that I was very curious about because my question in my mind was how the heck is it happening here, right? Um, it, it, there are so many homes in this footprint era, area that NextEra is proposing their utility scale solar development in. And then I, I immediately started doing some research in terms of home density and home property values. And so um, what I want to do first is jump to some comparison screens because my theme for tonight is which one of these is not like the others, okay? So when you're talking about utility scale solar facilities, they're the largest ones in the United States. Um, I went and compared them to this Nextera footprint. And the one you're looking at here is Mount Signal. And I've published these um, maps online. I made them and they're interactive and layered on Google. That's kind of my background is I do this sort of stuff. And so I really thought this would be great for everyone to be able to take a look at. And so they can see the differences firsthand from Google Earth View. So this one, Mount Signal, okay, this one is a 3,927 acre solar facility footprint. The thing I wanted to look at was the home density within a zero to less than one mile uh, distance from the footprint. And as you can see on this particular one, and I will post all of the links to these maps on westgardnersolar.com. Um, that's my phone, sorry. <laughs> so that everyone can go out and take a look at them closer when they have more time. But um, what I want to point out here is on these largest solar facilities, the home density and the population is always offset either to the east, west, north, south, right? It's it's still within proximity of one mile on the edges, but it's not on top of homes. It isn't literally not on top of homes, all these others. This is how West Gardner differs. So this is Mount Signal. The other one, um, if we want to go look at, at this other one that I want to compare uh, West Gardner too. It's the first solar uh, facility. This one's in Georgia. This one's 2,100 acre footprint. And again, as you can see, the home density and the population is offset. It is not on top of it. If you zoom in on these footprints, you will not see the amount of density that you see in our footprint, which is Nextera's proposed development area. So this is ours. This map is also available. I'm running out of time. This is going to be on the, again, the website, West 
gardenersolar.com. You can take a look at all these maps, but you can see the density of homes within that footprint. This up here in the yellow, this is a sunflower munitions plant that's beat, it's at brownfield sites, decommission. Why not there, right? So things to think about. I appreciate your time. You guys are doing a wonderful job being thoughtful and we really appreciate it as your um, constituents. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Luke Sinclair, chair. Um, are there other members of the public that wish to make general comments right now? Yes, hi, I'm Bill Brandon. I'm Carrie's husband. Um, I'm just kind of mimicking a lot of what she just said as, as the population. Um, first, uh, you know, I think no industrial solar field should be placed in such a populate, populated area. Um, like she said, there are many other places like the sunflower plant. Um, but if for some reason you think that these industrial solar fields must be in one of the most beautiful areas in Douglas County, then I have issues and concerns. I have issues with the neighborhoods and some individual homes having the potential of being surrounded by these industrial solar fields on more than one side of their property line. Um, NextEra strategically went around neighborhoods and homes to quietly secure these plots of land with no consideration for existing non-participating participating homeowners. Um, most of the participating landowners do not even live in this area and the ones that do live here probably have large flat plots of land that they more than likely may not even notice the panels on their property. Um, they also have the incentive of getting paid. Um, Douglas County should not allow these individual solar fields to surround neighborhoods or homes on more than one side of, the prop of their property lines. You should consider the people who have invested so much to live and run businesses in this area. We are the ones that should take precedent over any utility scale solar project. Um, no industrial solar field should be placed on high elevated hills in this proposed area as well. There are many reasons not to do this. It will be impossible to minimize the view views of the panels. Um, the hills are filled with Martin Sibleyville soil, which is filled with sandy soil. So erosion will be hard to control. A lot of these hills, a lot of these hills have ponds, some large at the bottom that can flow onto or connect to non-participating landowners' land. In addition, some of these ponds have overflowed directly feeding the existing creeks that surround this area. If herbicides are used, runoff could affect not only the neighbor neighboring landowners, but the fish and wildlife that use these ponds and streams as habitats. One example is the thousands of migrating birds that use these ponds. How many will be killed by the possible herbicides or the solar panels themselves? I have nothing against solar companies or these, these industrial solar fields when placed in areas that do not affect such a large population of people. This is not the place to be the testing ground for such a large project. Move it somewhere more fitting or reduce it to keep it out of our neighborhood. Um, don't let these solar companies dictate the outcome of the restrictions that should be more in the hands of the individuals that live here in Douglas County. Um, thank you guys, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Luke Sinclair, chair. Other members of the public that wish to make general comments? Hello, uh, my name is Travis Hardy, 421 East 2400th Road. Edgerton, Kansas. Um, I also want to talk about solar. Um, I live out there where this is being proposed. Uh, 
I just want to throw out a couple of things to consider, you know, when thinking about this, um, you know, there is a possibility that these things can interfere with signals on devices and, you know, out there where we live, these, you know, we have horrible cell signal anyway. If this interferes at all, man, we're, we're dead in the water as far as a phone goes out there. Um, I mean, I guess we could use a landline, but it, you know, it, if, it, if there's any disruption at all, it's going to, going to basically make our cell phones unusable where we're at. Um, you know, another thing is more than likely they're going to put up, uh, you know, surveillance type cameras to make sure, you know, no one's messing with their equipment. Just, I don't know if you can work this in, but, you know, they really have to make sure that this is not pointed at any of our properties. I mean, that would be an invasion of privacy. Um, you know, they got to keep it pointed at the, the solar fields and, and just keep it away from us. And, and another option or another item I'd like to talk about is, you know, this is a huge, huge area and they have to keep these panels clean. And doing this, you know, there's a lot of mechanisms, but the common one is just to use water and chemicals. And in Kansas, the, you know, our aquifer is going down and, you know, water is a precious commodity. And, you know, it, there needs to be some regulations, I think, on, you know, how much water they can use and, you know, the runoff is, you know, mentioned as well, you know, just, you know, normal farmers, I think, you know, with irrigation, there's rules and regulations around that. You know, I think the same needs to apply or, or similar ones need to apply here that try to limit the amount um, that they use here. And, you know, if possible, try to limit the chemicals that go along with that. Um, because, I mean, it's really kind of wasting water. It's going to run on the, you know, on the ground. And then now that it has chemicals, you know, it's, who knows what's going to do. We'll get, you know, most of us are on well water out there. So um, hopefully it doesn't get in the water. Um, the last thing I'd like to mention is, you know, since Kansas doesn't have any, you know, rules, you know, kind of around this, that's why each county is kind of trying to come up with their own right now, you know, just to keep things simple and, you know, keep liability to each county, you know, I, I would like to see, you know, a buffer around, the edge of the counties. And so each facility is fully contained in each county and not have a crossover like the proposal that Nextair has. You know, Douglas County, you know, they set their rules and regs, so they should have their own facility. Johnson County should have their own facility, keep them separate, you know, just to keep everything, you know, in line with what you guys, you know, believe and what they believe. And I think it'd be simple on everybody. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Name's Dan Fuller. Uh, address is 2327 North 400 Road. Um, I wanted to ask you guys if you've ever heard of a SLAP lawsuit. Do you know what the definition of SLAP is? It is strategic lawsuit against public participation. That is a lawsuit that Nextera filed against a 30-year-old woman with a disabled husband with two kids in Ontario, Canada. She was fighting them because she didn't want their wind generation system right next to her. And she finally lost. They beat her down and she moved to New Brunswick. And from there, they never dropped that lawsuit. They beat her down, but they're holding that lawsuit over her head. 
does Douglas County want to do business with a company like that? I think not. What kind of problems, what kind of problems are they going to bring against any of us here that are speaking out against them? I think, I think if you guys really consider this, that's something you don't want in Douglas County. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Luke Sinclair Chair, are there other comments from the public on general matters? Hi, my name is Angela Murray, and I live in the southeast part of Douglas County as well. Um, and I would like to um, speak to the issue of the proposed Next Era solar project as well. Um, and my concerns relate to um, all of the hard work and the wonderful work that the planning commissioners are doing to develop the regulations for this kind of development um, really require not only the regulations, but enforcement mechanisms as well. And so so um, I want to make sure that there's some thinking behind making sure there's resources and there are enforcement um, mechanisms in place so that when these mitigation um, efforts for the regulations are in place, that they can um, that they can be enforced. I also want to speak to the importance of doing business as a county with ethical and um, respected organizations. And so this is um, sort of um, building on what the previous speaker mentioned about concerns related to Next Era's ways of doing business. There are other examples, and I presented these to the county commissioners um, last week, of regulations being in place, um, but those regulations being violated. And so there's uh, examples from, um, let's see, we've got Williamsburg, Pennsylvania, had stormwater runoff problems because they failed to follow the regulations that were in place. Ludlow, Vermont, which was actually a Next Era project, made unapproved design changes once the project was underway. And Mecklenburg, Virginia um, was another area where there were failures to abide by the buffering and the erosion mitigation um, factors. So I just want to encourage the Planning Commission to take enforcement into account um, as they're putting these um, measures in place. And then finally, building on the question of um, the, the relationship with the company that, or the developer that the county does business with, I would encourage the commissioners um, to consider in, uh, incorporating a requirement for these businesses to communicate and interact with the community um, so that there's opportunities for those developers to hear concerns. In our case, we didn't hear about the project for several years after land leases were already being signed. And when we did hear about the land leases being signed back in August, and I spoke with a leasing agent from Nextera, I encouraged them heavily to convene some community meetings. Um, they did not do that. Um, but we as community members and neighbors got together and met to share information and make sure people were aware of the development. Um, we finally did hear from someone from Nextera um, and had a meeting with them last week, but it didn't end on a very positive note because that individual basically hung up on us in the middle of the conversation. So I just encourage you to really um, take into account the reputation of the company. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Are there other members of the public that wish to make a general comment right now?
Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Would no one in the room would uh, like to speak on general public comment at this time. Thank you, Jeff. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, thank you for those comments. I think, as you all know, um, based on uh, Commissioner Carpenter's um, comments earlier, we have a committee in place that's really trying to look into these things. I think these comments will be helpful and will be considered as the as the commission um, wrestles with this and and I guess works with the county as well on these matters. So we appreciate that. Are, are there any commissioners that wish to say anything in response to the public comment that we've heard tonight before we move on? Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, I just want to echo that we're really glad to have that public comment come forward. Um, these are voices and individuals that have been, you know, very positively engaged with the ad hoc committee uh, and have you know great insight and are, have been uh, very articulate about bringing their concerns forward. So I'm glad for everybody to kind of on the planning commission to get a chance to, to hear some of those voices and we'll have more coming, I'm sure. Um, and we are you know, doing our best to engage uh, with, with any issue that the community brings forward. And actually I heard um, a couple of new ones, uh, especially from Mr. Hardy, so that we will we'll follow up on. Um, but all of that input is very valuable to us. So thank you for the time. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. I just add that I would encourage um, all the individuals that spoke this evening, and I think I recognized everybody from the other meetings, <laughs> um, that any materials they might have or if they want to provide any written comments to please send those on to Mary Miller so that they could be included in all the materials that the ad hoc committee is reviewing and ultimately all will be provided to the entire planning commission. Um, also, uh, Chair, I'm not sure if everyone checked to see if there were any online individuals that wanted to make public comment before we close out public comment. Luke Sinclair Chair, Commissioner Carpenter, thank you for that. Um, I, I assumed, I guess, when uh, Jeff mentioned that, that he had not seen any, but I guess it, it wouldn't hurt to put out a last call if there's anybody on the Zoom call that wishes to offer public comment before we move on to our um, regular agenda items. Please signify that you want to say something. Kyle Kobe with planning. I haven't seen any digital hands going up or any indications that one of the Zoom participants wants to chime in. And I'm doing my typical thing where I extend my sentence as much as possible to give some extra time. <laughs> um, but I'm not seeing any any hands going up. Okay, thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, then we will go ahead and close the general public comment and move on to our regular agenda at this point. And um, we have a request to shuffle the order a little bit um, and to move the miscellaneous item, uh, the variance at the, that's at the end of the agenda, up to be um, presented and discussed first. And I don't have any particular problem with that. Um, so I, uh, I think we need to vote on that, though. I, I propose, I guess I'll just, I, I move that we, we move the miscellaneous item to the front and to consider that first. Um, would anybody be willing to second that and we could have a vote on it? Commissioner Carter? Uh, Jeff, would you be able to read the roll on that? 
Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes 10 to zero. Uh, thank you very much. So then um, I believe we have Mary Miller. Well, it's the very, I'll just say it first. The, the, what we're going to consider is approving a variance from section 2810A2 to allow creation of a lot with less than the required width, lot width um, for the RS7 zoning district. Um, it's a variance associated with the minor subdivision, sort of laid out in there. And Mary Miller is going to present um, uh, the report on this. Good evening, Commissioners. Mary Meller, Planner, and I'm just going to pull up a graphic showing the property. Um, this was in the staff report of the staff memo, and this is a variance from the requirement in the subdivision regulations that when we divide property, um, the lots we create comply with the standards for the zoning district. This is located in the RS7 zoning district. Um, this district requires 7,000 square feet of area and it requires 60 feet of road frontage. The properties are currently two lots. They were platted in 1953, I believe, at the Sihons edition. Um, one property had about 63 feet of frontage. The other one has about 49.83. It's almost 50 feet of frontage. Lot two is the lot that is requesting the variance. What they're proposing to do with the minor subdivision is to increase the width of their property. As you can see here with the yellow dashed line, they would increase increase the width about three feet for about 95 feet of the property. The neighboring property owner has agreed with them to uh, participate in this so that they could widen their lot. And this would provide more room for the residents. And that way they could put their residence and their driveway and observe the setback and be less crowded. This will bring the property closer into conformance with the um, 60 foot frontage requirement, but it will not meet it. It'll put it up to about 53 feet. There is not enough width between the two lots for both of them to have 60 feet of frontage. So this is an improvement, but it's not possible for them to widen it. And if they did widen it any further, they'd be encroaching on the neighbor's garage and uh, their driveway. Um, the staff memo went through the three findings for variances and found that they were met. And um, staff is recommending approval of the variance. And that concludes my presentation. I know the property owner is here today if you have questions for them. Thank you, Mary Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, we have the owner on the call. And you can go ahead and uh, speak. And um, as the applicant, you have 10 minutes to present oh, if okay. you'd like to. Well, uh, first of all, I want to we want to thank you for uh, kindly moving this to the beginning of the agenda so we can uh, have supper. Um, and uh, again, this is part of the challenge of, of infill development is that we are dealing with the consequences mm -hmm. of uh, maybe poorly thought out decisions made uh, decades earlier. And uh, mm -hmm. basically it's our goal to um, have a house that fits in well with the neighborhood. So. Yeah. Very good. Thank you both Luke Sinclair chair. Um, do we, <laughs> excuse me, do we have any members of the public that wish to offer 
comments on this particular uh, agenda item. Hi, Kobe with planning. There's nobody in the room. Um, and so far, I'm not seeing any digital hands going up either. Okay, Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Kyle. I guess if someone does so late, we can accommodate them. Um, but then with that, I suppose we'll just bring it back to the commission. Uh, are there any commissioners that have any comments or questions out of the gate? I guess I, Luke Sinclair Chair, I, I have one just for clarification and it, it may have been accounted for in the staff report and I apologize, Mary. Um, but the the, yellow, the hashed yellow line um, is the is the is the lot width going to be widened just to the end of that or is it all the way back? Just to the end of that, because if you look a little bit further to the west, there's a garage and if they would go further, then they would make that garage non-conforming with the setback. It has to be at least five feet from the side lot line. So they're just going back, I believe, 95 feet just to accommodate their house. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you. Any other? Uh, Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, just wanted to comment that I, I really do love that neighborhood on Lennard. Uh, four generations of my husband's family have lived there and those deep lots make for great gardens. Um, I have no problem with the variance. It's, you know, it's the best we can do with the situation that we're left with, that non-conforming lot. So um, I don't see any difficulties with the variance. Thank you, Commissioner Willie, Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Yeah, these are my neighbors or two two blocks south of my house. Um, and this is a this is a neighborhood, especially on Lenard. I don't know how many actually meet code for the frontage <laughs> in what is RS7 because I live in a little finger of RS5, it turns out, which I meet. But but anyway, it is a it is a, a road of narrow, deep lots. And that's what they did back in the 50s um, when that was still the county line road. And when these that west side came in, that was the, the road. The county was on the other side of the road. So this was brought in at a, at a time when I think this was the preferred method for all, everybody that was purchasing houses there. Unfortunately, it doesn't really comply with our current codes. But in this case, I think the variance is has met the conditions as per the staff report, and I'd be in favor of it. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you. Are there any other commissioners that want to weigh in or ask questions um, or uh, if there are none, I, I, I wouldn't mind hearing a motion either. Commissioner Willie. Okay, I'll try it. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I move that we approve a variance associated with minor subdivision MS 21-346 Blue Sage Meadows uh, for a change in lot width. 
Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. We have a motion um, to approve the variance. Is there a second? Second. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Any other comments before we vote? No, Jeff, can you read the roll? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes 10 to zero. Great, thank you. Uh, and uh, Luke Sinclair Chair. That takes us then to the top of our agenda. Um, and we have uh, only two items in the regular agenda. Um, and they are, uh, um, the first is to consider approving a request to rezone Z21. Um, 00227, approximately 5.19 acres, located at 2726 O'Connell Road, also known as 1338 East 1600 Road, from RM15 District to RS5 District. And then along with that, we have a, uh, an item to consider approving a preliminary plat PP210228 for Going South Edition a 38 lot subdivision, including lots for both detached dwellings, duplex and multi-dwelling residential development located at 2726 O'Connell Road. Um, and it includes variances as well. And um, for that, we have Sandy Day. Good evening, commissioners, Sandy Day planning. Um, I am gonna present these two items together and rather than share screen, I will direct you to certain exhibits within the staff report. This item includes two parts as you described for considering the rezoning in the preliminary plat. Property is currently zoned RM15, which is a medium density residential development. And the proposed development request includes rezoning a portion of that existing RM15 to RS5 and then subdividing the property into individual lots with a public street. Project also includes extending a portion of East 28th Street, it's a planned collector street, um, to uh, just a little bit past the intersection of Prairie View Drive. The surrounding area includes developed duplexes to the north as part of a planned residential development and conventional residential lot development to the west on the west side of O'Connell Road. Properties to the south and the east are existing rural uses um, associated with social services for housing youth known as Teen Challenge and O'Connell Youth Ranch. Two group home uses are not located in city limits and include extensive improvements on their property as part of their mission statement serving youth. The proposed development is infill. Property was annexed, zoned, and subdivided through a preliminary plat process for just one single lot for multi-dwelling residential development in 2013. The applicant's current request is to rezone the south portion of the property to RS5 and to develop the entire property with individual lots. Properties located within the boundary of the Southeast Area Plan, which you can see um, in the staff report. Sorry, I had another device open so I could refer you to the page, but it just closed. 
And that is on um, page 27 of the staff report. The project would add to the existing residential lot inventory. So figure three on page 27 of the staff report shows you the subject property within the Southeast area plan boundary. Um, it's located along what is planned, um, the planned Eastern extension of the collector street network, that being um, 28th street, which would be extending from O'Connell road to Franklin and Noria roads further to the east. Preliminary plat shows the full dedication of the required right of way for East 28th Street for a portion of that subject property up to Prairie View Drive. And then one half of that right of way is shown um, Prairie View Drive to the east end of the property. So you can see the preliminary plat in the staff report where we've tried to paste them together kind of side by side since it is a large document, figures three and four on page 37 of the staff report. The area highlighted in yellow represents where it, the RS5 district boundary would be. And then the preliminary plat design um, has been through a variety of iterations to address specific subdivision code requirements. Um, so we do include a couple of variances related to this project and specifically as they relate to cul-de-sacs. One of the variances related to the size of the cul-de-sac on the west leg of East 27th place. Cul-de-sac is sized a little bit smaller to account for the site limitations that are described in the body of the staff report. And that cul-de-sac turns down and is offset from the center line. There are uniform lots that are provided on the north side of the street. Those um, remain in that RM15 district. Um, but there is an irregular lot that's kind of created on that south side um, in that is affected by kind of that turn down of that cul-de-sac, but also by the intersection of O'Connell Road and East 28th Street that is existing today. Staff reviewed the cul-de-sac design to confirm that necessary vehicle movements can be completed within that cul-de-sac. Uh, the applicant satisfied both the city engineer and fire prevention staff with regard to that proposed cul-de-sac on that west end meeting the necessary vehicular movements. Um, the trade-off is that as the property is developed, if it's approved, is that on-street parking would need to be restricted within the bulb of that cul-de-sac to preserve those movements. We also looked at the east leg, so that area east of Prairie View Drive. Um, several street designs were considered during the review of the application. Streets must be extended into adjacent subdivisions, which is where you see Prairie View Drive being extended to the south or to adjacent undeveloped land for connectivity and must correctly terminate either in a temporary cul-de-sac if the street is to be extended or to terminate in a completed or permanent cul-de-sac if it will not be um, extended. Additionally, the street length is limited to a maximum length based on the base zoning district. The project highlights one of the discrepancies or flaws of the subdivision regulations when it comes to measuring streets or the street length. The north side of that street is zoned RM15, which would allow a longer maximum length of the cul-de-sac, while the south side is proposed to be zoned RS5, requiring a shorter street length. 
zoning extends to the center line of the streets. So this is all discussed on pages 40 and 41 of the staff report. Um, and that particular standard is really the basis for the second variance um, that we have to consider. The city engineer was not opposed to the street length um, as, as the subdivision is proposed. The final design challenge of the preliminary plat really relates to a requirement to provide two points of access to a subdivision with more than 30 dwelling units, total units. Um, and then in figures five and six of the staff report um, references kind of that summary of what that looks like. The subdivision on the east end of, or in the east side of, of Prairie View Drive includes 25 lots. So those lots are sized for detached, duplex, and actually um, triplex units. So it is possible to develop that east end of that street when in excess of 30 total dwelling units. The provision um, about that maximum number of dwelling units actually falls within the International Fire Code, which is a cross-reference from the subdivision regulations to that other document. Planning Commission does not have um, authority to grant the variance, but you do have the authority to approve the subdivision design. So that's part of why we want to give you that context. The measurement of the street length is taken from the center of the nearest intersection. So that's the center point of Prairie View Drive and East 27th Place to the center line of the cul-de-sac. So that's how it's measured. Um, from that point, there is only one way into that subdivision. Um, East 27th Street was really unlikely to be extended. It's a local street. And as we talked with the city engineer um, and also with an understanding that O'Connell Youth Ranch is um, plans to remain in place for an extended period of time, it's really unlikely that that local street would ever be ex uh, extended. So the subdivision was revised to terminate in a permanent cul-de-sac. Um, however, East 28th Street is part of that planned collector street network for the area, which is more desirable candidate to extend further to the east. Um, and you see in that preliminary plat where the applicant is providing their required one half of that dedication for the full length of their property. And then they are providing the full width, um, having acquired land from Team Challenge to the south that allows them to, to construct that street from O'Connell Road to um, Prairie View Drive. So the only other option really, the way the surrounding land uses work and the existing development pattern to provide a secondary access would be to construct one half of the street, either as a temporary emergency access or construct it fully as a half street, which city staff does not support. Um, and then using one of the proposed infill lots as emergency access or fire service. Um, and we did discuss those options with the applicant and they can provide you more information about what their position was on that. Um, furthermore, we've also had some recent changes to the land development code that allow detached dwellings to be constructed in RM lots. So as we look at this overall design, um, you're seeing what a maximum potential of that development is to exceed 30 dwelling units on that street segment um, if 
somebody comes in and builds a detached dwelling on one of those RM lots, um, then that continues to reduce that total number of dwelling units on that particular street segment. Um, additionally, it's really only the corner lots that have enough land area that would be eligible to develop a triplex and that would be subject to site planning. So there's yet another review process that would be applicable if the developer came forward with a triplex within um, that particular street segment. So the applicant redesigned the preliminary plat to shorten that street on the east end and then has also modified the zoning boundary with an expanded RS5 district that'll be um, brought forward to the planning commission um, at your December meeting. That change came too late after all of the publication, so we could not amend um, the request tonight for the RS5. So you will be seeing, um, if this project moves forward and is approved, um, the applicant will continue with that second application to wrap the rest of that RS5 around that eastern bulb of the cul-de-sac. Uh, staff has provided a positive recommendation for the proposed rezoning for the RS5 district. And in addition, we've also provided recommendation um, for positive action on the preliminary plat, including the variances. Um, I know the applicant is on the line that they can answer some specific questions and I'm happy to answer any direct questions you have at this time. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, the applicant, is that you, Mr. Grobe? Uh, yes, Dean Grobe, Grobe Engineering. Um, I, I don't have a presentation. As always, Sandy's a, a great job of presenting everything. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's some details that maybe you have questions about. Um, I do want to make a point that, uh, and the owners on the line as well, that um, one of the things with this project is that he is working with several uh, uh, affordable housing uh, agencies in the, the county to make the seven lots uh, west of Prairie View, south of 27th, uh, seven lots and block three uh, to be affordable housing uh, lots and um so he's made that effort um i think we're we've got a couple variances uh, before you but um if, if you look at them i mean we're talking about a you know cul-de-sac length that the city will starts out approving a thousand feet and then reduces it based on um the zoning of the lots and that that gets reduced so um mso felt like you know a 700 foot cul-de-sac is not unlike a lot of uh, cul-de-sacs in the neighborhood and, uh, and really fits. So uh, again, with the other variants, um, because we don't have a, a, a resident on the one lot that providing no parking really didn't deprive any homeowner of uh, not having street parking uh, with parking, no parking, just being adequate for um, uh, fire protection and sanitation, the ability to turn around when there is a, a smaller cul-de-sac mold. So um, I think it's a good project. I think Sandy's done a good job of explaining it. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Thank you, Mr. Grobe. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, are there any members of the public uh, either in the um, chambers there on this call that wish to offer comments. 
um, on this particular item. Um, if you do, please uh, make yourself known. You have three minutes to offer your comments. Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, there's nobody in the room to speak on this item. And at this point in time, I don't see anybody who is attempting to participate remotely either. Okay, Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Kyle. Um, if, if anyone's having trouble raising their digital hand, we'll, we'll accommodate you. Uh, but with that then, I guess we'll bring it back to the commission um, for comments and questions. And I guess just before we launch in, um, I, I was hoping maybe just to get a little bit of uh, clarification to the extent there's any confusion on um, exactly how many different votes uh, we're going to have. If, if I'm right, I mean, we have, we need to vote on the, um, consider and vote on the rezoning, uh, consider and, and vote on the plat. And then I think in the report, there's two variances listed, but then the first variance is almost like there are a couple variances in that one. Are, is, are there two votes on the variances or are there three votes or can you offer a little bit of clarification so, so we can just kind of launch in and know what we have at the end of this? Thank you, Sandy Day. Um, yes, you really have two specific variances to the preliminary plat piece. One is the reduced right-of-way width for the Western cul-de-sac bulb part of it. And the second variance is related to the length of the cul-de-sac, which is really the Eastern extent. So one deals with the bulb of the cul-de-sac and then the other one deals with cul-de-sac street. So it's a little bit of a weird language that's used in the subdivision regulations, so. Okay, Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Sandy. And so just to be clear, like the, the first variance refers to reducing the paved area and then reducing the right-of-way. Those, that's still just one variance that we'll consider? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you for helping me, if no one else. Um, Luke Sinclair Chair, other questions or comments from the commission? Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I'll kind of tag on to uh, Commissioner Sinclair's, Chair Sinclair's uh, questions. On the uh, the variance with the east um, cul-de-sac, so the length of the cul-de-sac, and you were mentioned that uh, we don't have the authority to make part of that variance. Um, some of that goes to uh, building codes, is that correct? That's for question for Sandy. Sandy Day, yes, thank you. Um, the, the, the specific variance that you're being asked to act on with the preliminary plat relates to the, the street length and how we measure that. Um, the other piece of that about having a second access to not more than 30 dwelling units falls back into the fire code. They, they are definitely interrelated issues, but you are not being asked to to act on that variance piece about the 30 units within this project. And yes, that would be partially considered through the building permit process. Mr. Chair, may I have a follow-up question? Please. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Uh, so the, the neighborhood immediately to the north that has a cul-de-sac of much the same length, 
Um, do they have a problem with the number of dwelling units and did they have to have a variance for the length of their street? Sandy Day Planning Office. Um, that particular development was done back in, I believe the late 90s, early 2000s. So that would have predated the requirement to have uh, two points of access. So it, it is arguable that it does not meet today's code, but it is essentially an existing non-conforming situation. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Commissioner Willie and Sandy for that interaction. Any other questions? Commissioner Rexrode? Hey, thanks, Commissioner Rexrode. Um, a couple questions. Um, the neighborhood immediately to the north that Commissioner Willie was just talking about, um, as I look at the map, it shows a zoning of PRD. Um, maybe I'm looking in the wrong place, but I'm, I'm wondering if, how, if that's consistent with what this new zoning request is or if they have a different density there. Sandy Day planning. Um, you know, I have not dug into that project really in a while. So I don't know that I can tell you right off the top what that density is. Um, it is fairly high. It was a project that included duplex units. Um, and it was really done at a time where conventional zoning was really not viewed as being sufficient enough to review design standards. Uh, we did not have design standards at that time. We still do not have residential design standards. So it was very typical to look at that kind of a project as a planned unit development. The zoning is PRD under the old code. Um, okay. it, it's density, prob if I had to guess, I would say it's probably a little bit higher than what this project would net out. Okay, thank you for that. Commissioner Rexford again. Um, uh, curious, uh, the, the applicant calls for some percentage of homes to be affordable housing. I'm wondering how those are defined. Sandy Day Planning Office, affordable housing definition, and, and I may ask Jeff to jump in here, partially has to do with the income of the householder um, and the, the cost of that housing as it relates to that household. Is it a household of one? Is it a household of four? Is it a household of six? Um, it, I think it varies widely on what that is. So I don't know that I can give you an, a specific answer that says these lots will be X amount of money and housing within this lot will be not more than Y. Um, the, the applicant or the developer may be able to speak more specifically to that as well. Thank you. I'd appreciate knowing that because if there, if there are lots um, that are going to be sold, I'm, I'm not sure how that notion of affordable housing would be, would be, you know, controlled or, 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 or passed down. So. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services, uh, work with AHAB and some of the other bodies there. I would refer you to, to page 48 of Plan 2040. There's a definition in there of what affordable housing is. And, and the synopsis version of that is, for housing units that are renters, the monthly rent and utilities not exceed 110% of the HUD-defined fair market rent. Uh, for owners, it would be those earning up to 80% of the median family income. So there's a couple of different definitions in there. And part of um, 
what Ahab always talks about, and I think they may have touched on briefly during during your last joint meeting that you had, is about that qualification and the process that goes along with that. And that's typically done by a different organization in the community, you know, what's called a, a community housing development officials. And that's usually the nickname for that is called a CHODO. And they usually qualify individuals based into affordable housing that participate in those programs. And so does the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority. So it, there's a lot of different things there in Sandy's, right? It can go based on the number of people in the household and some other different factors in there. So it's hard to, it, it very much depends on on who is going into the property and a lot of the details that go around it. But that, those kind of give you the, the broad strokes for defining affordable housing. Thank you, um, Commissioner Rickshard again. Uh, I, I don't have uh, uh, an, an issue with this project. I think the project and the location for this that all makes perfect sense. As long as though, as long as there is some verbiage in there that calls out some number of affordable housing units, um, I just like to understand how that carries through all the way to, um, you know, reality. Um, I hear what you're saying, but it sounds like if the development is going on, if the, unless these lots are being controlled and sold with that specific intent, I'm not sure how that promise is maintained. Again, I'm not um, holding this up as, uh, as uh, you know, a no vote for me. I, I am in support of this, but as long as we've got the verbiage there, I'd like to understand how it carries through. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. And I, I think this goes to a little bit more about the intent versus what the code actually has the ability to push and, and pull. This is not falling in the line of a special use permit to allow two detached buildings on one lot, which is the, the typical mechanism that you would see in that. So a lot of it is, is up to um, the developer and the seller of the lots to kind of be willing to participate and work with those nonprofit entities in the community. So there's not a, there's not a lot of code ability to push that on if they're not participating in some of those programs that are available in the land development code. But I, I think a lot of people recognize that there is that need and there's a lot of discussion going on with those organizations. So I think there's a lot of things in the works there. I just, I don't know if we have a lot of code authority to push in that line with this kind of a application this evening. Thank you. Uh, Dean Grove, Grove Engineering, if I may. Um, I, I would say that um, the owner is working, uh, tenants to homeowners, Habitat, um, you know, to provide affordable housing lots uh, usually comes with receiving some grants or something to help offset some of the costs so they can be. We've had that discussion and I think um, there is that mechanism in place. If you receive a grant to help get the cost down, you know, that it comes with a you know, signing on the dotted line that certain lots will be affordable. Um, again, that's the, the owner has been voluntarily uh, working with that in mind, um, knowing that he needed some help through grants to, to pay for some of the things. So those could be affordable lots and, and then become affordable housing uh, units. Um, but yes, I, I, I can equivocally say that every mechanism is in place, but there, there's always those caveats that come with it that if you want to get the money, you know, you sign off that they're affordable housing uh, lots that are, um, again, either managed through some of the nonprofit companies like uh, tenants to homeowners and those uh, to make them affordable. But it was just that piece that seemed right for the owner um, um, to put them up there near the intersection near 
uh, transit and that. So that's what he's working for. But getting through this step tonight, if we didn't get over this step, then, you know, you back up and kind of start over. Understood. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Grill. Blue Sinclair Chair. Uh, Commissioner Willie, did you have something to say? I saw your hand go up before. I was only going to call on Mr. Grove. Okay, perfect. Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Thomas. Um, Commissioner Thomas, one of the handouts that we received, if you look on page 29 of the handout, because my concern, one of my concerns was about affordable housing and the third paragraph down under point eight says, Zoning and subdivision approval do not guarantee that lots or resulting housing will be, quote, affordable, unquote, or for whom the affordability is intended. And here's where I think the gist of affordability came in. Generally, smaller lots are more affordable than larger lots, so it is accurate to assume that the proposed development may be more affordable regarding some aspects. Uh, but according to this, there is no mandate that would fall, as I see it, that would fall under the requirements, what does affordable housing mean? And that's on page 29. Handy day planning. Um, so that discussion in the staff report is really getting at kind of the question answers that we're talking about right now. The applicant has an intent to do something affordable, affordable and that was articulated in their application, so which is why we discuss it a little bit and that is part of the response that Mr. Grobe just, just gave that if they can work with tenants to homeowners, which, which they're doing, if they can secure some of the grant monies to apply toward the construction of the project, yes, that is part of their intent for a portion of that development. Can they guarantee it? Um, there's nothing in the code today that mandates or requires that a portion of their subdivision be held for that particular type of development. So that is really where I'm saying this is an aspiration of the project, but going through this analysis, we can't um, require the applicant to do that. They are not seeking any kind of public funds from the city um, for the project that we could talk about that kind of thing. Um, there's nothing in the subdivision re regulations that require them to set aside certain percentage of lots or affordable housing. So that's that's the intent of that discussion in the staff report to try and frame that out. Luke Sinclair Chair. Thank you for that, Commissioner Thomas. Um, Commissioner Shanklin, I think you're on the phone. I just wanted to make sure you had an opportunity um, to ask any questions or make comments if you're not able to signify that you want to. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I, I think I should thank Commissioner Willie too. Um, I, this is uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. And uh, I have a short series of questions. Uh, I think I should start with Sandy. Um, given that we don't have the ability to condition 
the rezoning or the uh, subdivision on the production of affordable housing units. Um, and also given that Lawrence uh, has a serious supply side ho housing problem, um, I'm concerned about any rezoning that appears to have the effect of reducing the number of dwelling units that would be produced on the property. So my first question for Sandy is um, in the, the application uh, that the applicant uh, expressed um, the, the position that uh, there was no desire for multifamily housing on this parcel. Um, but in your discussion, it sounded as if maybe it was a more of a physical constraint that it was simply the fact that uh, the number of dwelling units that could be located along this uh, cul-de-sac street uh, was limited. So if you could first please address um, are, are we limited in the number of housing units that could be produced, dwelling units that is, notwithstanding the zoning classification? Sandy Day Planning, um, thank you for that question. So this property today is currently zoned RM15, which typically we would see some sort of multifamily residential housing. And I believe those very early applications that we worked with um, Mr. Grobe um, and his his clients um, in that 2013-2015 kind of time frame was, was a multifamily project. And we did struggle with um, the total number of dwelling units with one point of access throughout that development. So that has certainly been um, a significant consideration. And then that project would have also been subject to a site plan. Um, so there is um, a little bit more strength in the land development code as it pertains to site planning to press for more firmly those, those kinds of connectivity um, pieces that we look for not only in planning, but also in that fire protection fire prevention piece. So the applicant may need to speak a little bit toward, you know, where they have gone with, with their assessment of the project, moving from a multifamily to um, a project with individual lots. Um, but that, Thank you. that's uh, kind of the background of that piece. Thanks, uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner again. But then I, I'd like to ask Mr. Grobe, just, just to enable us to understand um, at least in part with respect to this parcel, um, why Lawrence can't produce more housing units. Um, do you have market studies that tell you that uh, multifamily housing just won't work in this area? Is it a, a, just a question of profit margins? How, how, does, how do you come to the point where you decide to build fewer dwelling units? Um, Dean Grove, Grove Engineering, um, the owner is um, on the line, and if, if I can't answer your question, we'll uh, ask Frank to speak up. But, um, you know, when we first did this, looked at uh, possible options of, um, you know, triplexes, other things, um, kind of what worked. Um, and again, it goes back to 2013. Uh, there aren't 
big apartment complexes out in this area, much like the, the western part of the, the city. Um, as he you know got RM15, anybody would say, wow, that's that's dense. You want to keep that. You don't want to lose that. Um, you know, that that gives you the highest possible um, bang for your buck. Um, you know, we looked at that, you know, just couldn't get much interest in doing something. Um, kind of thought maybe it was the wrong time uh, since then. Um, we've seen, a, you know, as of just recent past, um, single family lots not available. Um, uh, duplexes or townhomes are still pretty marketable, but, you know, still doesn't provide single family um, residents, which we've seen a shortage of. Um, this particular location and, and, and blending, you know, more with the neighborhoods than just north to the west. Um, it just, you know, kind of worked it several different ways. No major, you know, studies. Um, Frank Saul, who's the owner, has been a builder in town for 30 plus years, um, you know, and said, you know, tired of sitting, waiting for somebody to say, hey, that's the perfect piece of property for multifamily. Um, so at this point, he said, we need some single family homes. Uh, his son has kind of taken over the business, a place that he could build some homes, fill that need for single family. Um, and, and a little bit of the problem is, is the kind of the shape of the lot. You know, if this same square footage was in one nice, perfect square, hey, it'd be perfect to do multifamily apartments and that. Um, the whole shape of the, the property didn't exactly lend itself well, you know, to um, large apartment buildings, if you will. So uh, it, it's been several things. Um, and, you know, it kind of came down to doing something. And this seemed to be the best option to still use the RM15, uh, go with RS5, where we could still keep the density a little higher than RS7, um, but still kind of provide a neighborhood that seemed compatible to the neighborhood and and still hopefully work out from a financial standpoint. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, this is Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner again. Just to follow on to Commissioner Rexroad's uh, comments, um, I, I would just like to say that we really need to have a device that allows us to condition, um, particularly the subdivision approval, where there's an offer of affordable housing to condition on that. Um, I, I mean, I, I think it's great that the, you know, the applicant is willing to pursue that avenue, um, but it would be nice if we as a planning commission, uh, you know, could, could ensure when we vote that that will happen. And um, I, I regret that we're unable to do that tonight. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, we've had something come up before where we found that we were not able or shouldn't be able to require um, 
the the input of a third party or um, I, I guess I'm, I'm struggling with how what mechanism we could use to require a portion be affordable housing when like the LIHTC credits can't possibly be pursued until we've done our part to rezone and uh, do the you know, pass the plat um, or ask that um, a third party like tenants to homeowners be required to uh, coordinate with the developer. I just I I think we would I think I would pass this without the uh, thought of affordable housing because of the market rate housing uh, need that's being filled here and the working with the the oddities of the lot to get as many houses in there as we can. Um, but I think that the the, the thought that the um, developer wants to pursue some affordable housing lots in there I think is very promising and I I, I don't think that I feel the need to um, hold them to that against the other circumstances that are beyond everybody's control. Luke Sinclair Chair. Thank you for that, Commissioner Willie. Is anybody else? Commissioner Carpenter? Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I guess this is a question for Randy Larkin. Pop up. Um, would the discussion we're having about requiring certain lots to be affordable, designated for affordable housing, and is that under the definition of inclusionary zoning? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Yes, most likely it is. We've had difficulties, and that's why we don't have that in the city code currently. We can't mandate that somebody set aside affordable housing. If they get incentives or some type of concession from the city, that allows them to do it, then we can put those types of uh, contingencies or requirements on, on the project. But if it's someone else's property, we have difficulty under state law doing that. And we're still barred by state law from having that as part of our zoning code, is that correct? Absolutely, that's why it's not a part of it. It would have been already. Uh, there's nothing to prevent the applicant from entering into a voluntary agreement to do it? This is Randy Larkin. Yes, there's nothing that would prohibit them. I mean, as long as it's a free and open bargain, we can't coerce them into <laughs> agreeing to it by saying, yeah, we'll grant this to you if you agree to it. But if they were to enter into a, a written or a voluntary agreement, yes, that, that can be done. So that's something that Mr. Grobe could do if he wanted to, I mean, I know he's being very and honest in his intent. I know he's worked quite often with tenants to homeowners on many projects. So I was just wondering if maybe we could get that written onto the site plan at his, you know, by him being volunteering to add that to the site plan. But then, you know, what happens if um, the work with tenants to homeowners falls through then he'd be bound by that. So, right. So it's a kind of a double-edged sword. So, yeah. So this is problematic. I mean, I think the best time that we're going to have when we can do that is when we're the city is actually um, offering something in exchange, like reduced fees or cooperation in payment for infrastructure and such. Is that correct? Perhaps, yes. I don't know. We've done it with reduced fees, but whenever the developer or the 
landowner receives something like a, an economic development incentive, then we've been able to do that. Okay, thank you. Blue Sinclair Chair, uh, Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, since we're having the legal discussion, um, I, Mr. Larkin, have we looked at the possibility that the exception under state law for bargain for exchanges for inclusionary zoning um, would include a case like this, where we are uh, considering a, a variance um, or, or a rezoning, uh, coupled actually, um, to permit the developer to do something that they could otherwise not do? It's, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. It's, it's basically been our opinion that whenever we face some type of uh, decision-making or grant something under the city code, they could get otherwise perhaps, and where we require them to enter into an agreement or set some things aside, we've interpreted that to be somewhat coercive as opposed to a bargain for exchange. It's basically we're selling a variance for, for affordable housing, which in the opinion of the city attorney's offices would probably violate the exclusionary clause. Okay, thank you very much. Luke Sinclair Chair, um, does any commissioners wanna weigh in on that or have other questions or comments? Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. My thoughts are we'd have to consider this variance on its own without the addition of the affordable housing component, which I believe was brought up first by the applicant. But um, we just have to consider whether we would grant this variance if that had never been raised as an issue. And then, you know, rely on the applicant on following through with what he is, um, his assertions here tonight that the intent is to include affordable housing, but I don't think that that should weigh into our consideration as to whether or not to grant this variance. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Rexrode. Commissioner Rexrode, um, I agree with Commissioner Carpenter. Um, uh, I'm I think it should be considered without that as a, with affordable housing as a factor. And I, I'm leaning in support of this um, based on the, 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 the plan for this consistent with um, other um, housing development in the area. Um, uh, I think that it's the right proximity for development like this um, around uh, the industrial area um, uh, for Lawrence. Um, I believe that uh, from our own experiences that uh, there is a demand um, for this type of housing, um, that uh, RS5 um, allows for greater density than, than maybe a more typical RS7 would. Um, so it's uh, certainly headed in the right direction. And then with the applicant's uh, you know, commitment that they are uh, without being bound to it, but pursue affordable housing solutions. Um, for me anyway, I, I think I'd lean in support of this. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Anyone else? Commissioner Willie. And Willie, Planning Commissioner. I'll change topics if that's allowed. Sure. So about the cul-de-sac to the west, the, the one with the funny shape that we have some variances about, 
Um, I know this has probably been considered and ruled out, but I just want to ask Sandy, um, is there any possibility of just making an exit only at the end of that street and saving the extra pavement from having to do a cul-de-sac at all? I know it's close to the roundabout, so it wouldn't make a good entrance, but would it be possible for it to be exit only? Sandy Day planning. Um, that's a question I would need to take back to the city engineer. Typically, um, I think they are not looking for a local street intersection, um, particularly that close to the roundabout intersection. But, you know, we certainly can ask that. I don't know that the preliminary plat design would necessarily preclude that from being a revision to the final. At this point, I believe the right of way does extend all the way to the east property line. Um, but we would we did not d discuss it during the review process, so I can't really answer it any more than that. So may I clarify, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner? Um, so if we vote in an agreement with the variance for the size and shape and setback of the west cul-de-sac, that that still could be a possibility open if the applicant cared to have that discussion with the city engineer in the future for an exit only instead? Or would that have to come back to us? Sandy Day planning, I do not believe it would need to come back to you. Jeff could um, potentially overrule that determination, but um, it, you know, the right of way would be there. Um, whether or not it would meet the intersection spacing, I think is the question. Luke Sinclair, Chair. <clears throat> Other questions? Uh, I guess, Mr. Grobe, I see your hand up. You can weigh in on that if you'd like. Yes, I just, uh, Dean Grobe, Grobe Engineering, um, that was discussed early on, and MSO said unequivocally, uh, no entrance at that location. And so it's kind of been off the table for quite some time. I, we could talk to them again, but when they looked at it, because we talked about two ways of access and this and that, and um, all the other regulations said no, they would not, not allow that uh, 27th place to come out to O'Connell. Thank you, Mr. Grobe, for that. Um context on there. Luke Sinclair Chair. Do any commissioners have any other items they, they wish to raise or questions on this one? I guess on any of the three things. Four. No other concerns that anybody wants to raise? Um, and if not, does anyone Feel like they want to make a motion? <clears throat> Commissioner Rexrode. Hey, Commissioner Rexrode, um, try this. Uh, move that we approve the request rezone Z 21 approximately 5.19 acres located at 2726 O'Connell Road, also known as 1338 East 1600 Road from RM15 multi-dwelling uh, residential <coughs> to RS5 single dwelling residential and forward to the commission for approval. 
Sinclair Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford. Um, so we have a motion to um, approve the request to rezone and forward it to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval. Do we have a second on that? Commissioner Ashworth, thank you for that. Seconded by hand motion. Any other um, comments before we have a vote? Okay. Seeing none, Jeff, could you read the roll? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes 10 to zero. Very well, Luke Sinclair Chair, that leaves um, the plat with the uh, with the two variances. Um, you know, barring additional comments or discussion about that, those um, three items, uh, I think we could uh, entertain a, a motion. I guess before, I mean, point of order, I guess before that, is there a particular order those need to be taken in? Um, do we need to do the plat first? followed by votes on the variances or, or vice versa? Or I guess we'd have to do the, well, whatever. You can explain, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. We'd recommend a motion on the plat and then followed by the motions for the variances. The variances can go in either order, but the plat would need to go prior to the variances. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, does anyone wish to make a motion on the plat? Should I call on someone? Uh, Commissioner Rexroad? Hey, Commissioner Rexroad, um, I'll try. Um, make a motion approving preliminary plat PP-21-00228 for going south addition 38 lot subdivision, including lots for both detached dwellings and duplexes as written in staff's report. Uh, Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Commissioner Rexroad. Um, Jeff, before seeing if we have a second, is that satisfactory from staff's perspective? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. I'll also, I'll delay to have Sandy confirm, but I think that sufficed for the motion on, from my understanding. Sandy, Sandy Day, Planning. I didn't talk uh, particularly about the conditions that are related to the preliminary plat, but they are generally technical in nature, certain documentation that should be shown on the preliminary plat. And we stipulated that as conditions in that staff recommendation. Okay, thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. And I understood Commissioner Rexford, your motion to sort of account or include um, the conditions based on how you worded it, is that yeah, right? Commissioner Rexford, yes, it does reference staff report to cover that. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. We have a motion to um, approve the preliminary plat <clears throat> subject to the conditions uh, in the staff report. Do we have a second? 
I'll go ahead and, and second, but just want to say I appreciate the people with dual monitors to read to to go ahead and handle these variances tonight. So thank you. I can't do it with one monitor. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Commissioner Ashbrook, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, any other comments before we have a vote on the preliminary plat? Nope. Jeff, can you read the roll? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrub? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes 10 to zero. Thank you much, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, that leaves us with the two variances. Do we have anyone that wants to make a motion on either of the variances? And even if you don't want to, will you just do it? Will someone do it? Yes, Commissioner Rexrode. Um, okay. Do you want these as uh, one at a time or, or as separate motions? I'm sorry, do you want those as separate motions or can they be combined? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services, we'd recommend that they be taken separately. All right, I make a motion um, to uh, approve a reduced right of way for the west cul-de-sac for east 27th place from 60 feet to 49 feet and for the re reduced paved bulb from 50 feet to 39 feet as a part of PP-21-00228. Thank you, Commissioner Rexrode. That's uh, Luke Sinclair Chair. A motion to approve the variance related to the um, cul-de-sac uh, right away width and paved area. Do we have a second on that? Commissioner Ashworth, I think one now, thank you. Any comments before we have a vote? Commissioner Carpenter. I'm Carpenter playing Commissioner. Uh, being a hardliner on strict interpretation of variances. I think that uh, since I'm in favor of both of these, I better explain that just so we have that on the record. Um, the unnecessary hardship component. This is an odd shaped lot that is directly south of a planned residential development that was, well, I think the last house from my looking online or when houses were built was in 2003, prior to the current development code, um, provided a connecting street that will not permit um, cul-de-sac lengths in accordance with the current code. Uh, it, whether it's in harmony with the code, well, as uh, Sandy Day pointed out in her report, this is, addressing a disharmony in the code and trying to be more consistent that different zoning categories for this lot require different lengths. And we're just trying to have some consistency here. And now what's number three? A little bit distracted. Um, lost. <clears throat> anyway, help me. What's the third criteria? Somebody. 
Public health, safety, and welfare will be protected. Ah, that this has all been reviewed by um, all the health and safety agencies in the city that have signed off on this, that they can operate their emergency vehicles with this proposed variance in the bulb width on the west side, as well as the length of the cul-de-sacs. Therefore, I think that all the conditions have been met. And in this case, I'm in favor of approving both variances. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. I do appreciate you weighing in on that, given uh, other variance discussions that we've had in the past. Any other comments before we vote? Okay, Jeff, can you take the roll on that one? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrev? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes 10 to zero. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. That leaves the, I think the street length um, variance request. Um, Commissioner Rexrod, do you want to bring it home or would you like someone else sure. to? Okay. <laughs> Commissioner Rexrod, I move approval of a variance um, for cul-de-sac street length in excess of the minimum standard for the RS5 district of 625 feet to 701 feet as a part of PP-21-002228. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford, Luke Sinclair Chair. It's a motion to approve the variance related to the street length. Do we have a second? Commissioner Willie, seconded by hand motion. Thank you. Any comments before we vote? Not seeing any. Jeff, can you read the roll, please? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexra? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes 10 to zero. Very well, thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Mr. Grobe, um, for your time you. on that. Um, so the, we had two other items on our um, regular agenda, but those were both deferred. And so that we uh, means that we've wrapped everything up. Uh, Jeff, is there anything else, um, I guess, on the that we need to consider for new or old business? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Just uh, if you'd allow me to share a note with the Planning Commission, you may have seen a news release that went out recently. The request for proposals to revise and update the land development code was issued on Monday. And you can see some of the timeline and schedule along with that. Um, so you can kind of see that news release and look at the RFP document for that one. But that is the, the beginning of that process that we hope. And, I envision Planning Commission to be very involved with that as it starts to take root and, and get going. But I'm uh, very excited from, from staff's proposal on that one. We're looking forward to some good hard work on that. Excellent. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Jeff. It's exciting to know that that um, will be getting off the ground at some point here. 
Is that it then? That is, that's all the information we have for staff okay. this evening. Very good. Um, th does anybody else have anything to add or do we, could we have a motion to adjourn? I'll go ahead and move to adjourn. Thank you, Commissioner uh, Ashworth, Luke Sinclair Chair. Do we have a second on that motion to adjourn? Commissioner Carter, thank you. Um, any last minute, uh, anything? No one wants to say anything. Okay, Jeff, can you read the roll? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes 10 to zero. Very well, thank you all. Have a, have a good month or a good few weeks, I guess. <laughs>